0: Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study, and this is going to be a new part for September 13th, 2009, and essentially, this is going to be kind of like my testimony, but a lot of the testimony that I'm going to be talking about today relates to supernatural things that I have experienced as a Christian, supernatural answer to prayer, Contending with evil, a lot of experiences that i personally had. A lot of these you've probably never heard before. I've mentioned these, one or two of these, in other studies. But this is going to be more of a comprehensive look. I was talking to a Christian brother this week from Texas. And, um, and so I was talking to him. I was telling him a lot of these things. And I said, You know what I ought to do? I ought to just do a study where I talk about this. All of these things that have happened to me over the years. And. Um, Because I think ultimately it would be an encouragement to most people. And the things that I'm going to be talking about today, I believe, are going to be more and more commonplace moving into the day and times we're moving into where evil will abound. um, But where evil abounds, you know, God's grace all the more. And we're going to need to... uh, I just believe our faith is going to have to be increased moving into the times we're moving into And hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. So, essentially it goes back to about 1984, and 94, I'm sorry, where I had just graduated chiropractic college, because people say, well, how did you get saved? Just graduated chiropractic college in, uh, I believe it was September of 93. Came out, started practicing with a chiropractor, who was also a Christian, very into the very radical, charismatic stuff. And, which always kind of freaked me out, even back then. And he had um, given me a book, though, called en Route to Global Occupation by Gary Kahl. You can still get it. It's an awesome book. I still recommend it to this day. And in the book, uh, Gary Kahl was an insider for the United Nations, worked there. And he basically lays out the whole Illuminati agenda particularly through the Freemasons, how they're working with the United Nations, and a lot of the global... how the global government is being implemented and run. The first half of the book is basically his story, and then most of the last half is just the documentation on this. And so it's a very well-done book. I mean, if you're a skeptic, it's a great book. He had a whole um, bookshelf of these he would give out to patients. And... um, gave them to me. I took it, and in in there, you know, probably about halfway through or whatever, you know, it gave you, it basically led you through where where it told you about salvation and Jesus Christ and how this was all predicted in the Bible and these types of things. And when I got to that point in the book, it was like, oh, man, I mean, I I was sold on the gospel on the whole nine yards. And that was how I got saved, reading that book. And, um, then as a baby Christian, uh, I really wasn't in any kind of church, because I still didn't want to go to his church. It, it just it freaked me out too much, the whole charismatic stuff. And so I was still pretty much in a carnal type of state. I had changed, but I was still had a lot of the world in me, okay? And I didn't really have any kind of real guidance whatsoever. And uh, to make a long story short, I married... Um, ill-advised type of marriage and for about four years I was under the chastening of the Lord and the Bible says whom the Lord loveth he also chasteneth and if you be without chastisement then you're bastards like an illegitimate son so I was in the state where I was I was in um, I was chastened Uh, and it was brutal really brutal and I didn't understand what the chastening of the Lord was. I really wasn't in the Word that much. But I did have a desire to serve the Lord. I really did. But all I knew was the charismatic angle. I didn't know about the King James Bible. Uh, I wasn't in any kind of sound doctrine. And all I ever had before that was a very, very secular background. Where my mom was, you know, into the yoga and the new age. My dad was into the, you know, big time rock and roll. And and having all the toys and buying all the stuff. And the big house and... uh, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and all that stuff, all that the world had to offer. That was all I had ever known. And, you know, partying and doing all the other stuff that I was pretty good at. So, about four years I was I was in this marriage, and, you know, I would say it was pretty much just pure chasing of the Lord. My ex-wife, uh, at the end of the four years, just so you know, she'd been married two times prior to me. And was actually the one that filed for divorce, she left me at the same time, and was sleeping with another man before the divorce was final. But for me, once I was freed from this situation, I went back to the only thing I had known, which was the charismatic and the Pentecostal movement. And uh, I was really in the word a lot, but the word that I was in was like the living translation, the NIV, and you know, I got, got into that. Got into this big church near where I live. It was the largest church in, um, the largest Pentecostal church in uh, Cape Coral, the city where I live, Kingsway Christian Center. And um, immediately, you know, because I was a doctor and, and I, was, I exhibited a lot of zeal, they wanted to, I mean, almost instantly elevate me to positions where I was like in teaching. I mean, I had my own... Uh, Wednesday Bible study, I believe I had, or something like that. Maybe it was Tuesday. And I loved it. But I really wasn't qualified. You know, I hadn't even... I was a baby Christian, essentially. Well, at the same time, in the church they were having a big problem. Between the services, somebody was breaking in and putting bones and ashes on the pews. Okay? And, I mean, it was several times they were doing this. So I... uh, I mean, obviously, I knew that was evil, and somebody that had a witchcraft background was doing it, so I ended up bringing a lot of people in, uh, in the church together in a, in a prayer meeting type setting, and we were praying against this and these types of things, and we must have been making some impact, because they really started to target me. Now, again, what I'm going to be talking about today are a lot of the supernatural experiences that I've had in... Um, since I've been saved. Okay. And this was probably one of the first ones. So, what ended up happening is, uh, in this next thing, they were targeting me, and one day I was at home, I was at my parents' house, I was sleeping, taking a nap or something. It was in, it was in the middle of the day. And, um, again, I think I've told this story other times, but I'm going to try to give a compilation of all of these stories, kind of in one document. I know there's going to be stuff I leave out, but to the best of my recollection, this is what happened. I was sleeping, laying on my right side, facing toward the window on the, if you're facing the bed, the left side of the bed, and I was having a dream. And in this dream, I dreamt that I was on this island. And the island was in the middle of Lake Okeechobee. And on this island, there was this group of people that were there that seemed to be my friends. It was like some type of communal-like environment. Now, Lake Okeechobee is, is uh, the second largest freshwater lake in America. It's in the more near the southern part of Florida. And at the time, I didn't even know there was islands in it. There was about five. But anyway, that was the dream I had. There was this island. I was on the island. People were. Um, on this island with me. I thought they were my friends, and, but at, what I noticed is as the sun was going down, the countenance started changing. Now normally I don't remember dreams this vividly either. And this experience that I'm about to relate to you has never happened to me before or since. So this isn't something like that happened to me all the time. I've never had it happen to me before or since. In my dream I knew that the people on the island were becoming evil as the sun started to go down. And I knew in my dream that I had to get off this island. If I didn't get off the island, that things were going to get nasty. So, I meandered out to, I believe there was a long wooden boardwalk in the dream out into the lake. And my boat was there. And they all followed me out. And as I was getting into my boat, and just, as I was just shoving off the dock, I looked up, and their faces and their countenances totally changed. Just as the sun was going down, and they literally looked like these vampiric creatures. Is what it was. I, I ascertained that they were. It was an island, like a vampiric coven or something, witch coven. And I realized in my dream that I had just got off the island uh, with my life. I would have been dead had I stayed any longer. At the same time, I woke up. Woke up. I'm on my, on my right shoulder, facing. Um, the right side of the bed, toward the window, and I had my eyes closed, but I could see. It was the weirdest thing ever. It's like you could see through your mind's eye. I could see the room, but my eyes were closed. And at the foot of my bed was about a seven foot, looked like a cone of darkness, like a big old seven foot shadow, at the foot of my bed. And at the same time I realized I couldn't breathe, I couldn't open my eyes. I couldn't move. All the only thing I could do is think. And I knew this thing at the foot of my bed was pure evil. And I knew at that point he was there to kill me, whatever it was. Well, I also sensed that on the bed with me, in front of my face there was something. I don't know if I could I don't remember if I could feel it moving or what, but I knew something was there and I knew I needed to get my eyes open because I wanted to see whatever this thing was on the bed with me. And I sat there, and I tried to open my eyes, and tried to open my eyes, it was like trying to lift a 500-pound weight off my body. Because I was paralyzed from head to toe. I couldn't breathe either. Remember, I'm not breathing. And I finally get my eyes open. And um, it was about, I don't know, a one-and-a-half to two-foot skeleton demon thing on the bed with me. And it literally had like a little bit of body armor. It had like swords in its hands. I know this sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, it happened to me. I'm just being honest. Okay? And again, it's not like I have this happen me all the time. There's a lot of charismatics out there, because trust me, I've hung out with a lot of charismatics. And it's like, this is like a daily occurrence for them, if not a moment by moment occurrence. <laughs> they got these things going on all the time. Well, this thing was coming toward me. It had about. I don't know, it was probably about two feet away from me. It was coming toward me. And I knew it was there to kill me. We had the seven foot shadow at the foot of the bed. Right after I had this dream. And I knew at that point that there was one remedy. And that was to get the word Jesus out of my mouth. I knew if I got the word Jesus out of my mouth, it was all going to go away. I just knew it. I I just just say it was faith. I just knew it. it. There was no doubt. There was no... Nothing. Remember, the Bible talks about the Lord, you know, gives every man a measure of faith. And that was, it was there. It wasn't something I had to muster or, 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 you know, whatever. And remember, I'm paralyzed. The only thing I've got at this point, the only thing I can do is think and I had my eyes open. And I'm watching this thing come towards me and it's getting closer and closer. And I knew I had to get the word Jesus out of my mouth. It's like trying to lift a 500-pound weight off. Finally get the word out, Jesus. And everything instantly was gone. Gone. Okay? Now that by itself should get you a little fired up. As they say in the Baptist church, If that doesn't get you fired up, your wood's wet. Or that's enough to make a Presbyterian run the aisles. That's another thing they say. Anyway. Sorry about that. Sorry, a little levity there. It's probably not going to move the frozen chosen, though, this story. It won't move them, but it might move some of my listeners. Anyway, a little, little levity there. But, so, this is over, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, why did this happen, Lord? That's the first thing I'm thinking. And it took a couple days for me to finally key in. I think part of it was the reason, number one, I wasn't reading the right Bible, I was involved in the charismatic movement, which in and of itself, you, you've got open doors. You've, you've just got open doors. Um, a lot of the things that go on in the charismatic movement is just unbiblical. Okay? And when I finally came out of the charismatic movement, I was trying to show my pastors this, even out of an NIV Bible. you know. And, and the typical response I would get is, oh, let go and let God. Yeah, where's that in the Bible? So... You know, that's what was happening. Well, and I'll t- in fact, I'll tell you another story about that in a second. So I, I was asking the Lord, "What? why did this go down? What happened here? What in the world was... And the first thing I did is a search of my room. And the headboard where I was laying, on the same side of the bed where I was laying, it was a sliding headboard. And I slid the headboard back... And in the very, very back corner, there were two little black onyx stone idol-looking things. About maybe four or five inches high. Substantial. My mom must have bought them at some time. They looked like these little... and I mean, they looked evil-looking. That was probably the main doorway. Okay, granted, I had some doorways with the others that I mentioned. Um with the charismatic movement, the Pentecostal movement, but this was probably the main actual doorway. And again, if you bring a cursed object into your house, it can have all kind of unbelievable effects on you. And I'm talking, these cursed objects can be very small. Very small. I remember one time I was talk- uh, um, Bill Schnebler was given this testimony where uh, this lady, they were trying to do uh, some type of deliverance on and they were actually dialoguing with this devil, and when they said, you've got to go, and they were trying to cast it out, the, the, devil, the devil said, I don't have to go. And they're like, why? And the devil didn't say anything, but he looked up at this little spoon rack on the wall. And so Bill walked up to it, and he looked, and there was a little... One of the spoons had the picture of a gargoyle head, because you know how they have those collector little spoons? Well, when they got rid of that one little spoon... They were able to cast out the devil. It can be something that little. Now you have to understand, most of the rock CDs, or even country western, or these types of things, a lot of those are, are all cursed. Uh, John Todd does probably the best best explanation of that, how they actually curse these things. I think through the devil, R-Ringy. I forget which one it is. he's a really big, high-level principality. They curse the master recording and then everything that's recorded off the master has, basically it's like, you know, you're bringing home a demon. That's just one of the many ways. A lot of these demonic toys, demonic video games, books. I don't encourage people to have the, the satanic Bible in their house as a reference tool. Or, or Masonic um, books like Morals and Dogma. A lot of pastors have these. One pastor I knew that had these, you know, he, he went down. He, and he thought it was so funny, he'd brag about it. He had all this a library that he had. You don't know what you could be bringing into your house. I had a friend not within the last year who was reading Alice Bailey's stuff. Or no, 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 it was Madame Blavatsky. ISIS Unveiled and all this stuff. Bringing it in, bought it and brought it into his house. It's one thing if you even go to the library and sit down and reference it. It's another thing when you buy it and bring it into your house. You know, you just don't want to do this stuff. You can research it on the internet and find out. You don't have to bring this... You don't know what kind of curse you may be bringing in. Okay? And I mean, literally, this thing just about as close as I ever came to dying, probably, in my life. (laughs) So, I know a little bit about it. Now, another thing that these... Whoever this was, whether it was a combination of witches and warlocks or whoever it was, we never did find out who it was. But, what they had done also... They found out where I lived, and I had a planter, there was a tree growing in this planter, catty corner to the room that I was in, probably about 20 feet away from where I was sleeping, if you drew a straight line. We had a cat that was the neighbor's cat, his name was Socks, and um, they had sacrificed Socks in the planter outside of the bedroom. And nobody knew it was there because the planter had these shrubs in it and they put it behind the shrubs and you didn't know. But when we did know was when Socks was so uh, decomposed that it was stinking up the whole neighborhood. And and we were like looking and I hadn't seen Socks a lot. The sweetest cat, too, was terrible. Just a sweet cat. And we found Socks writhing in maggots on the side of the planter. Now, this cat was young. The reason I say it was sacrificed is about. I would say about 20 feet in a different direction, in in the mulch bed around the house, they had taken a rat and literally pinned it down on its back and sacrificed it. And it was there, pinned down to the ground. So I knew somebody had been there, some witch or warlock or whatever, and they were trying to, you know, this is how they do things. They sacrifice animals or humans or whatever they do in order to strengthen the witchcraft that they're trying to use. It's one of the ways they do this. So I had a lot of different things working against me. But that was one of the first experiences I ever had regarding this whole situation. Uh, then I got out of the Pentecostal church. Um, I tried to show them about the King James Bible and a lot of the things that they were doing, and they rejected it all. And I even went to another church, another I think it was called United Pentecostal. And they the reason I went there is because they used the King James Bible, but they were unfortunately about as crazy of a group of individuals as I had ever seen regarding the stuff that they were doing. I mean, it was just crazy. When I was there, they they the, the pastor's wife, actually they were my patients. It turned out I walked in there, I didn't realize that they were my patients pastor's wife they would they would get into the praise and worship stuff and uh, i remember this one lady she was like doing this little four point jig and she just kept doing it over and over and over and then this one lady came up and she was throwing her body forward and backward and forward and backward and she had this real long hair and it was going back and forth back, like like she was on a hinge or something and everybody was laying hands on one another. All the men were laying hands on the people that I had brought there. Because I had my own little pe- group of people that had come out of the Pentecostal church with me. And the Bible says to lay hands suddenly on no man. The Bible is very clear about that. And that everything should be done in decency and in order. And then the Bible talks about how we ought to know how to behave in the house of God. All of this was being thrown out the window. And... The women, after they had done a lot of the stuff, then they all started, the pastor's wife went up there and started, got on the ground in a fetal position and started what they call travailing in the spirit, or birthing something in the spirit realm. This is something that charismatics commonly did. They probably still do it. But, they were up there doing their whole birthing process. And, uh, I think the only thing they were birthing was a double baby, if they were birthing anything. But, she was up there, and then another lady got on her back, and then another lady. And I mean, I'm talking, I don't know when it, when it was over how many women were up there. And it was like, it was almost like a circus sideshow act. I mean, it was almost like they were, I don't know if they were doing this for our entertainment or to impress us or what, but when they were done, it was like 10 or 15 women in this big mass of humanity in the front, and they were literally acting like they were giving birth. They were screaming, ah! you know, it was crazy. They were. They were screaming. Like they were giving childbirth. It was like that. I've seen two childbirths, so I know what it's like. They were birthing something the spirit world. I emailed her when it was all said and done, all the Bible verses. Actually, I actually emailed it to him, because he's the pastor. And I got a response from his wife, the one that was, was uh, doing all this. And Her response to me was, let go and let God. <laughs> so, you know, hey, anything goes in the church nowadays. I've seen a lot. So anyway, so we go from that experience to... um, Now, do you see how that would have been a tremendous faith builder, though? I'm so glad that happened to me. Oh, and let me say one other thing. Regarding this shadow, I researched it and I found out what it was. When we look at the angel of death in modern day times, the angel of death will typically appear... And the angel of death is a real thing, okay? The angel of death will typically appear in one of three ways. One, as either a shadow, which is what I saw. Two, as the Grim Reaper, which is where we see the skeleton figure in a, uh, with the hood over him, with the sickle. Or, three, as the skeleton itself. Well, if you think about it, the thing that was at the foot of my bed was a shadow, and the thing that was on the bed with me was a skeleton. Now, the number 13 tarot card is the death card. And on that card, you'll typically see a skeleton riding a horse. Okay, the death card skeleton. A lot. Anyway, the modern day usage of the Angel of Death. Modern day vernacular, they call him Azrael. Now I understand. In the Hebrew, there's another one, way they refer to him as Samael, I believe. More modern times, Azrael is the way that the Angel of Death is typically addressed. Now, granted, I understand it may be viewed as one thing in Hinduism and one is Buddhism and I understand that's, that's valid as well. Uh, I believe it's probably the same different devil just in a different package or fallen angel. There are whole cults that are devoted to worshipping Azrael. Death cults. There are. There's a website on the internet, and I don't advise you go up there, but it's called West Side Necromancy. And it's a whole cult devoted to the worship of Azrael. They even had a museum in New Orleans dedicated to Asriel um, for years until Katrina blew it away. So it's real. The, and I went up on this thing and it's the most morbid stuff you've ever read in your life. You cannot believe how depraved these people are. You can't but they tell you, and they'll tell you the exact ways that Azrael manifests, and it was typically the way that the exact same thing that happened to me. So anyway, um, that uh, that was my experience. There, tremendous faith builder because here I have the angel of death at the foot of my bed, and one word vanquishes him: Jesus. Totally. Uh, that was a very um, interesting thing. Um, Another story that um, relates... uh, These are just supernatural things I've experienced. A particular lady that I had known. I'm not going to give any names. um, But this woman was involved with all manner of evil. And I didn't know this, but I suspected it. And I had a lot of people come to me later and confirm things to me I didn't ask for this information I wasn't seeking it these were just people that volunteered the information to me and I believe the Lord put in my path just to confirm to me the type of evil this woman was operating under I had already known and she had already admitted to me that she had been in ceremonies where they sacrificed a ram witchcraft she would put love curses on men and I had seen the effects of that this woman would literally destroy your life if, if you had any type of relationship with her. and But I never knew the full extent. Her sister had told me at one time when she was young, she had come in a room and seen her arguing with her mom in the middle of the night, and when, her, when this particular woman looked up at her sister, her eyes were glowing red. Um, and this was a long, long, long time ago. She had told me personally that she had uh, had a sleepover at one time and that um, during the sleepover they had played that game Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board which is a witchcraft game and it worked. And understand, you can get a Ouija board you can play those demonic games and, and the devil is wanting to recruit people into this stuff. He's wanting to get people into witchcraft. And many times, those games will work. Now, if you played something like Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board, where you put one finger under the person and you recite whatever you recite and then you raise them up and you've only got one finger, it's the demons that are raising the person up. That's all it is. It's like a demonic parlor trick. And that's all it is. Okay? So, understand that that is is how that works. Okay? Okay? Um, and she had said that the night that they had played light as a feather stiff as a board, that outside her window, and this is the same woman, she had told me that um, she heard something, went out to the living room, and there was a uh, what she ap- appeared to be like a, a wolf with red eyes in the front yard, staring back at her. Whether any of it's true, I have no clue. All I'm telling you is this is the same woman that became deeply, deeply involved in witchcraft Okay, later in life. Um, Okay, so continuing further, I had also found out later that this woman got into prostitution, which is a very common profession for witches and them to get into. She worked at a prostitution center, essentially, one of these therapy centers, you'll see. And the lady that relayed this information just gave this to me out of the blue. I, w- I didn't go seeking this information. didn't go looking for it. She told me this out of the blue. And she said that um, she was actually dating the guy that owned this place. And this guy was literally putting a spell on her. And she was actually starting to have thoughts of wanting to do this. And she said that this woman that I knew was actually the main one there that literally kept, she said, kept the doors open in this therapy center. It was nothing more than prostitution. And when this woman tried to get away from the guy that owned this center, it's called South Point was the name of this place. I looked it up. I mean, it was a real place. I actually went there and prayed. But he said that when, um, she, when she tried to get away from him, he told her that I'm a warlock, and all of the women that work here are witches. And you'll never get away from me because you can't, essentially. And this is a woman that was unsaved and very, very afraid that told me the story. And that's why I'm not mentioning any type of names. What the point is I'm trying to make is that I had a lot of validation that this woman was deeply involved in witchcraft from a very early age, probably generational, and that I had a lot of other proof to prove that point. Then, her cousin, who became a patient of mine, and I did not know she was her cousin. One day she overheard me talking in the hall. I was doing electrotherapy th- on her, on her back, and adjusting her, and she says, Are you, you know, were you the one that so-and-so, and she found out that I knew her. She said, did you know I'm her cousin? I said, no. And then I realized her last name was the same as her real dad. And then I realized she was legitimate. Well, She proceeded to tell me a story. She said, do you know what she did to my grandpa and this type of stuff? And evidently she had punched her grandpa in the face when she was about 16 or 17. He had bought her a car. She wrecked her truck. She wrecked it. He ended up wanting her to help pay it off and she punched him in the face. Punched him in in the face. And then she said she told her at that point, this cousin that was laying there I was doing therapy on, she said she told her that if she ever saw her in public, she'd kill her. Now this woman was a rough-looking, redneck girl. She didn't look like she backed down from anybody. And then I asked her, I said, well, have you seen her since then? She's like, yeah, I saw her about a year ago. And I said, well, how'd that go? She's like, well, I was at this doctor's office. Now, this is a girl that I is my patient. This is the one and only time I've ever talked about this with her. She volunteered this. I didn't go looking for this information. Here's what she told me about the same girl that I just talked about. She said that um, she was at a doctor's office. Uh, This woman that I knew was there, who was her cousin, but she hadn't seen her in like 15 years. She checked out. She was like catty-corner to her in this checkout office. The secretary was there. When the woman walked out that I know, and was her cousin, walked out, the secretary turned to her and said, Hey, aren't you going to say something to your cousin? I don't know how the secretary knew it, but she did. At that point, this lady, her name was Stacy, I believe. No, it wasn't Stacy. I I forget her name. But she turned and she looked at this woman that I know, that I've just told you all the stories about. The woman was walking out the front. There was a plate glass window there. She knew who that was, this woman that I knew, and was her cousin. She looked at her through the window, and she said literally, her face melted right before me. It literally melted, and she smiled at me as it was melting. She And you know what that woman told me, that big, tough redneck? She said, I am terrified of her. I will never, ever mess with her. She is pure, the pure embodiment of evil. And I will never, ever even think about messing with her. This big, old, tough redneck that said, looked like she'd fight anybody, that had a reason to want to beat her up, was terrified of her and admitted it to me. Now, I'm just telling you; these are some things that have happened to me. I ain't making this up. This is just, and it was, and again, it was. This was conf- confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. There are people that are walking around among us that are pure evil. They are of Satan's seed. It's like the seed of the wicked one. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not going to make this dogmatic statement, she couldn't get saved, I prayed for her to get saved. Okay, but I'm just saying, there are people, let's face it, most of the people aren't going to get saved. The Bible says, narrow is the way which leads to life eternal, and few there be that find it. Broad is the way which leads to destruction, and many there be that go thereat. There's some people that are a lot more on the evil side than others. There was another lady, when I got into this independent, what happened is, is, it took me, quite a while, I ended up after the Pentecostal thing, I ended up getting into this independent fundamental Baptist church. And one of the first things I did is I went on visitation with the pastor one night. And this is the same pastor that ended up going down the tubes and he was the one that had the you know Satanic Bible and the, all the books on the Freemasons. And I'm not saying it was the only reason he went down the tubes, but I don't think it helped any, have those cursed books in your possession. But we went on a visitation, we went to this one particular couple. The lady's name was Julie. I forget the the husband's name. I really liked the husband. He just seemed like a really nice guy. No, you don't know who he is. And he was married to this woman. And uh, just and he was studying his Bible. He was really you really could tell he was really trying to really get on the right track with the Lord. I just really believe that. Well, it wasn't more than, oh my word, probably a year later, that, six months to a year later, that that man had left, moved out, moved to Texas, became an IV drug user, was gay, and I don't don't know if he died, I think he might have died. I always wondered because the woman that he was married to, I had a real bad feeling about. Never, ever, ever trusted her. And I never I always had a real bad feeling about her. And I'm not bragging, but she was always making kind of a play for me. Even when, you know but when what happened is is when she became when all this happened, it was her excuse, oh, I'm the poor widow, my husband did this terrible stuff and, and now i'm i 'm just a poor widow, and I never bought it i just never trusted her ever. She tried every manipulative ploy in the world just to get me to be her doctor and every time I would even if, if i I adjusted her it w- it would always turn out bad something was always it was bad. it was like she was cursed, and I had read about that people that, and I'm not saying 100%, but I think you'll see by the end of this that this was probably the case. People that are involved in witch covens. I've heard interviews of ex-Satanists and things of this nature. They are typically assigned to a church. And what their assignment usually is is pretty much the same, to create as much division, strife. If you're a woman, try to seduce People, the pastor, people in leadership, if you're a man, do whatever, you know, whatever you can do to try to, particularly if there's soul winning going on at the church. And this seemed like the M.O. or the modus operandi of this woman. Uh, This guy, I believe his name was Brian. He had totally been destroyed. Just totally, totally. And I couldn't even stand being around this woman. I'm sorry. I just, I couldn't. You know, I think if the Holy Spirit lives inside you, you're going to have discernment to some extent. And there was something real wicked about this situation. Always trying to manipulate me through different things and, and to get me to treat her and, and get me jealous and all this stuff. And I had no interest in her at all. None. And I think that made her even madder. Well, um, I even remember that... Uh, in the therapy place that I had worked, she had come in, and one of the ladies there had worked on her, and she said, she came to me afterwards, she said, I don't know what's up with that woman, she said, but after I did the therapy on her, she said, for three or four days, I had a, I believe it was a headache, she could not get rid of, she felt absolutely like she had just been devastated physically, she said, what is that woman into? I said, I believe she's a witch. Now, the reason I say that emphatically is because of the next story I'm going to relate to you. I was in a church. This was one of the last 501c3 churches I was in before I finally came out of that system. I was in a church, and she found out that I was going to this church. And at the time, I was actually in the choir. I was at this church, and we were in the choir room. And they had just done what they call an annex to the building. They had taken two buildings and they had joined them. Two buildings that were previously separate. And what it meant is you could walk from... The, the church was now all in one building instead of it being separate and disjointed. Well, the choir room, they had this little choir room where you could kind of sit in there and you could kind of warm up, your, you could kind of practice the song before you went up to the to the choir loft place and sang. Okay, So we always met there first and we sang the song Practice. Well, I'm sitting there, and I was, uh, um, I, I, was I, I guess, um, I was always on, not always on the lookout for her, but I was always afraid. If I ever saw her, I was always trying to, like, <laughs> not make eye contact, I guess. And I'm sitting there, and the choir's warming up, and in this new room, they had these glass. They were wood, but they were glass. They had gla- big glass panes you could see through down the hall. And I and we're warming up, and I look through the glass down the hall, and I see this woman walking up. Her name's Julie. I see her walking up toward me, and she is dressed real kind of like frumpy almost. I mean, to go to church, it looked weird. She, she's in this tan top. She's got. Her hair's down. She just looked real, like, disheveled, almost. And I, I saw her, and I looked at her, and I'm like, oh, no. And I, I looked away. I had an excuse. We were practicing for the choir. And she comes all the way down the hall to the, to, the, to the door and then makes a left-hand turn. And I figured she's going to the bathroom. At the same time, I mean, literally, that happened, and we started walking up into the choir loft. Okay. Now, in order for her to get back in the building, she would have had to have walked back down that hall, around the front, and go in the front entrance. That would be the way she would have had to have done it. We're talking that would have probably taken her at least, if she was going to go to the bathroom in particular, at least two to three minutes, at least. I, we, we immediately started walking up into the choir loft. I get up there. And I sit down and I look out over the audience and I noticed some woman in the right hand side of the thing. And she was sitting there. She had already been sitting there. And she was dressed up. And she was dressed in black and her hair was up and she had makeup on. And I don't have the greatest far away vision. I used to, but I don't anymore. But I knew it was somebody that normally wasn't there. Okay, So we sing the choir songs and we get done. And we come down. And I sit on the opposite side. It's where I always sit. And at the end, that woman comes up over to me. And guess who it is? It's Julie. The same woman I had just seen, dressed totally different, walking down the hall toward me, with her hair down, no makeup on, in a, in a disheveled look. And she is the same woman that I walked out. 20 seconds after seeing that and saw her dress in black with her hair up and makeup on. Same one. It had been her the whole time. How does that happen? I don't really know. It's some type of either spiritual manifestation, shape-shifting. I'm not 100% sure. I, it's very hard to me, for me to be Dogmatic. Whether it was the Lord's way of maybe possibly warning me, letting me see this, I don't really know. But I'm telling you, I saw it. And I knew who I saw in the hallway initially. And 20 seconds later to see her dressed totally different, with her hair totally differently done, so much so that I didn't even recognize her, that was another witch. The therapy place that I had said, that I worked at, There was a lady working there who was a witch, I found out. Um, She wore this silver wolf ring. Her name was Robin. And she was just pure evil. I mean, very nice to you, but again, was like a walking curse. These types of, particularly, and I'm sure it's true for the men, but I've dealt mostly with women witches, their lives are just... An absolute, total wreck most of the time. It's like they go around doing evil, not understanding that that evil is going to come back on them. And then they think they've got to conjure more evil or do more spells in order to do whatever they're going to do. And these people are assigned to the churches. Now, if you think they're ever going to admit this to you, you've got another thing coming, unless they literally get right with the Lord, which does happen sometimes. So, anyway... Um, yeah, she was, she'd bring in, you know, manuals and stuff like that. She was openly involved with it. And I was trying to warn the owner about her. And uh, ultimately, I believe we prayed her out of there. Literally. Um, but I, uh, you know, that was one of the many, many dealings I've had with, uh, with witches. Uh, where I worked, for a time period, I worked at a, a chiropractic clinic, and what ended up happening is, uh, I worked at a clinic where I found out. You know, I was only there for maybe about a month and a half before I found out they were actually paying for patients staging accidents. Uh, it was terrible, and it was it was all Haitian people that they were doing this with. And I was naive, and I had a chiropractor friend call me and ask me, he said, Man, there's some bad rumors about your clinic going up. And it wasn't my clinic, I was working there. And um, he asked me all these questions, and I answered in the affirmative. And he says, Well, man, he says, it sounds like they're staging accidents and paying for patients. And I quit the same day. Well, I was a little bit mad over the fact that these guys were trying to implicate me and get me involved in something that was illegal. I mean, I went to the FBI. I went to local police and they found out about it, this company. And it was particularly, uh, it was a Haitian pastor and a lawyer that I, I think the lawyer was the one that actually owned the actual company. And they found out about this. So they wanted to get back at me because I was causing them some trouble with the authorities. And so I went to work for another clinic. And they were um, right across, the, literally right across the um, the building complex. And the guy that hired me was trying to get back at this particular lawyer. He was the one. He was one of the ones that warned me. I Had a lot of things happen in a very short period of time where the Lord was showing me, this is evil. And this was one of the guys that warned me. He ended up hiring me. And. Um, what ended up happening is, I, uh, I, worked for, I worked for this guy, and the lawyer got wind of it, and then it was really this vendetta thing. He was trying to get back at me, and the guy, I was crazy. Well, he started his own clinic, and we were doing it honestly. We weren't buying patients, and we weren't staging accidents or doing any of that, this other garbage that, that this other guy was into. But at the same time, I had went to the FBI, and I'd done some other things, to try to, you know, for some justice to be done regarding this. And what ended up happening is, one of our uh, secretaries got back one day, and she got back to my office and she put this card on my desk, and they said they hired him. And I looked at the card, and I don't have a card, I burned it uh, later, but I used to have it, and it said something, his name... And it said, High Priest of Vudan. Voodoo. And it said, Temple of Genzanga. And then it had a red pentagram on the card. And it had like this little mortal and pestle. I, I can remember it, you know, where, you know, like they make a potion. And she said, they hired him to take you out. They hired him to take you out. Specifically to take me out, because I was causing them all kinds of trouble. And her name was Claire and I said, Well, Claire, I said, We're gonna see who wins this battle. My God is bigger than any voodoo. And I'm not intimidated one bit. Well at that point, you know, they started trying all these voodoo tricks on us. They were they came to our front sign one night and they put this orange stuff on the sign. And they we had a driver that would go pick up patients, and they they went to his house and they put some this white voodoo powder on his doorway, and he, he came in one day, he was limp and real bad. Now these were supposedly born-again Christians, but I, I don't believe any of them were, and they had absolutely no faith at all. In Haiti, just so you know, I've, I've done the research, according to the research I've seen, 99% of the people in Haiti are practice voodoo, 90 to 98%, in one way, shape, or form. And 90% of them are also Roman Catholics. Why? Because the two systems are so compatible. You got the idolatry, you got, you know, the whole. It's witchcraft. Okay? So, anyway, just thought I'd throw that in. If you doubt that Catholicism isn't essentially, you know, um, a very, very wicked religion, just key in part of the word Catholicism in the keyword search box on my homepage on Sermon Audio. I've done many, many teachings on Catholicism with PDF. Supporting documentation. Anyway, going further, uh, so I ended up, um, uh, they were doing this stuff, and then what they ended up doing is they ended up breaking into our office. They broke in the side window, came around unlocked the door, and what they had done is they would taken that same white witchcraft powder, voodoo stuff, and they put it, I can remember, it was like dabbed on the, on the carpet all the way, going into my office, they overturned my chair in there, they put it on my stuff, and on my desk, and stuff like that, and I saw that the next day. I mean, we called the police, we filed a police report the whole nine yards. And I said, I can tell you, you did it. I told them. And uh, they stole, like, I think they stole what, a CD player or something, or one of our, that was about all that was removed that I can remember. And again, I'm not, you know, this doesn't phase me. I'm not, I'm not intimidated by this. I wasn't back then, I'm not now. And I'm not saying I'm big and bad, I just really, I just believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is bigger than all of this. Well, so that happened. Well, then, you know, we're still going and nothing's happening to us, so the voodoo witch doctor decides to up the ante. And here's how I found out about that. I was in there one day, it was like August, like around, or around now, the same time of year. Very, very hot in southwest Florida. I always dressed... In a shirt, a white shirt and a tie, a long sleeve shirt and a tie and dress pants. It just always felt like I should dress nice if I'm going to be a doctor. So I'm in there and one day I'm just telling you this is what happened. I just got this heavy duty conviction. The Lord was convicting me. I needed to, he was going to show me something. I needed to walk outside. So I walk out the side door. This is the same door they broke in. That time, And it was back, it was real easy for them to do stuff because this was really off the road and it was isolated back there and you could go back there and, and literally probably have a bonfire and nobody could see it from the road. It was a very concealed place. And the place that was right next to us had been abandoned. Uh, no, it was an old doctor's office that nobody had been in for years. So, and there was no night guard there either. Anyway, I walk around, and there's there's mulch. And mulch is like that ground-up wood stuff that they put down as a covering. So I walk out the door, and I'm feeling drawn to the back of the property. Now, in the very back of this building was a chain-link fence about four feet high, and this mulch bed was between continued between... The chain link fence in the back of the building. It was a brick building. This is where all the air conditioners and all the other stuff was. Okay, So I'm back there. I'm in the middle of summer, my dress clothes. And I'm thinking, Lord, why am I back here? But okay. And I'm walking. And I get this really weird feeling I need to, I need to look down. So I look down. And there's a piece of visqueen. Now, visqueen, what that is, is it's like a black trash bag material. Except it's a lot heavier and thicker, typically. And what they do is they put the visqueen down in in Florida and probably a lot of other places, and you can put mulch or whatever you're going to put on top of that, and it doesn't let the dirt come up. So there's this piece of visqueen that appears ruffled up, out of place. So I'm looking down, and I just get this feeling I need to push this piece of visqueen to the side. So I take my left foot, push it to the side, and I'm looking up at the, the butt end of a bottle that has been buried upside down in the ground. I'm like, what is this? So I reached down and I pulled it out of the ground, and I'm looking. I'm trying to remember accurately. I look at the top of it, brush it off, kind of, and there's a red cap with a a solid star. It looks like a pentagram, essentially. And then I look at the looked at the bottom, and I believe it said Haiti on the bottom which is where it was from. And then on the side, it etched in the glass, or, or on raised, the glass was raised, and it said R-H-U-M, which I believe is rum in French. Because see, in Haiti, they speak French Creole, or French, I, I even knew, knew a little bit of it myself. So, okay, so I take this this bottle, I don't know what it is. I really didn't. I wish I would have known, because I would have things would have been different than the, the next part of the store I would have told you. And you'll see why. I take it around to the side where I just came from. And I put it down on the sidewalk there. And I go in and I get, um, i do not know if, sure if it was Abner or Claire. Abner was the driver, Claire was the secretary. I got Claire first, that's what it is. I got her. And I said, hey Claire, come out of here. You, do you know what this is? I just found this buried in the back upside down she came out, you would have thought that the world had ended when she saw that thing. She went ballistic nuts. You know, oh my G-O-D, oh, she was screaming. I mean, just theatrical drama queen stuff here, big time. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Oh, and then she's like, oh, did you touch that? I'm like, yeah, I touched it. And I instantly knew it was some type of voodoo curse or whatever they were trying to put on me. And I, I, say, I said, listen, I said, my God is bigger than this stinking liquor bottle full of rum with some curse on it. And then Abner came out. And he was going ballistic. They were both going ballistic. And I'm thinking, oh, what faith you, you supposed born-again Christians have. What faith? I've, such great a faith have I not seen. No, not in Jerusalem. No, I mean, you know, it's just ridiculous how they were acting. And, I mean, not to say that I think I'm Mr. Faith Machine and I'm, I'm the kingpin, whatever. It was just pathetic, though. Well, anyway, so I'm I'm dealing with these two drama queens over here, and, and Abner goes in, and he gets this bag. It's a plastic bag, and I remember it was Walmart. It was, you know, like the bags you get at Walmart. First thing he starts doing is spitting on the bottle. He's spitting on it. And he was freaking out. He's like, oh, did you touch that? You know He's about, They're both about balling. I'm like, oh my word, this is crazy. He starts spitting on it, and then he takes the Walmart bag, so he's not physically touching, and he gets in his car, and he drives away. Now what I, in hindsight, had I known what it was, I would have marched it right back over to the clinic, which was right across the way, and put it on the secretary's desk, and told him, I think you you, uh, forgot something to show Mr. Voodoo Witch Doctor that God showed me exactly where the bottle was buried. Because he did. He showed me. Who else could take the blame? I couldn't take credit for it. The Lord showed me. Evidently, this is a very, very high-level curse. I mean, they were trying to kill me. That was what I was told. It was death. Now, remember, before, the angel of death was at the foot of my bed. I know for a fact that this high Voodoo priest, witch doctor guy was trying to kill me. Voodoo's nasty stuff. Seriously, seriously nasty. People think it's like some kind of primitive magic, and it's not. I've seen Bill Schneblin interviewed on this before, and he says he's seen people that literally came into the hospital that had their organs turned inside out of their body, that they would have curses put on them where they would have, like, big bugs and spiders and stuff crawling out of them. It's... Very, very high-level... Hey, they've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to perfect this love, this part of witchcraft. This comes from the deepest recesses of Africa, which a lot of the... the, When they brought slaves over, and they got on the island, they brought their magic over. This isn't something that they just learned last Tuesday. And the whole country is enveloped in it. And you can't deny that Haiti is one of the darkest, darkest places on Earth. It is. I mean, look at the... The poverty. And I mean, I I, we had a lot of Haitian patients, and it wasn't my idea, but I'm sorry. I found them for the most part, and I'm not going to say I didn't pray for them and that I didn't want them to get saved, and I pray to God that they do, but for the most part, they were the most dishonest group of people I had ever been around in my life. They were obsessed with power. They always talk about power. And they were so dishonest. Liars. Now, there is a biblical precedence for this. I don't know if you might not be aware of this, but the Bible says, when Paul talks about the Cretans, when he says that they're always liars, slow bellies, meaning they're lazy. And then it, he goes on to say, therefore rebuke such and one sharply that they may be found sound in the faith. Now, I'm telling you, those people need to be rebuked, but they probably won't hear it. We just had some, we, we, not too long ago, my mom had a garage sale, and my word, they, the peep, they would come up and everybody would cringe back in fear, because the people that were there had already dealt with a lot of the Haitian people, and they're so, um, for the most part, not all of them, and I don't want to make a blanket statement, but I'm talking about for the most part, they're, you know, the one guy had come up to us and said, you've got to really watch these people. He said, we, we were having a garage sale, and they, we, we looked down for a second and looked up, and they were carrying stuff away by the, by the armful, trying to go to their car, not paying for nothing. They always try always to just beat you down and beat you down on price on any other. Oh, it's just a nightmare. Okay, I'm just being honest here. Not that I don't want them to get saved. Not that I hate them. I prayed a whole lot for for the Haitian people and, and for that race. I'm just telling you for the most part this has been my experience with them. It's been a very very negative experience with them. And the pastors that I had dealt with that was a total joke. Because many of them were totally involved in in voodoo and witchcraft on the side. And they were totally greed driven, most of them. So anyway, I'm not again, I'm not saying there's no Haitians that aren't saved, but when you have a whole culture and society that is brought up and steeped in high-level witchcraft, this is the fruit that you produce. Now, remember what I said, witchcraft is the coming one-world religion? Well, if you want to get a sneak peek of what the world's going to be like, look at Haiti. You, You reap what you sow, okay? What comes around goes around. And if that's what you're doing, if that's how you live your life, I remember all the time I would have Haitian patients come in and they'd say, like, oh yeah, my, my cousin just got hacked up with a machete. They kill people with machetes over there because they don't, can't afford guns, a lot of them. Abject poverty, oh, it's terrible. And, and again, I say this so you, so not so that you can despise a race of people, but that you can pray about it too. Pray for them. Okay, so going back to this, this story that I'm, I'm relating to you. Um, so Abner took the bottle and he, and he left with it. Now, sad to say, about two to three years after that, front page of our newspaper, Abner had, had his, was shot in the head. He, was, he went over to Miami, and I guess he, I don't know whether he delivered something, he had some money, they knew about it, he came back and somebody shot him in the head and stole his money. Whether that had anything to do with that thing, I don't know. He said that he did some ceremony, threw it into our lake, our river here, Clusatchee River. Didn't do nothing. He didn't know how to deal with it. I knew how to deal with it, but he, he got it from me so quick that, you know, they were making such a theatrical production out of this whole thing. Well, anyway, nothing happened with the curse, nothing at all. We were still there. They ended up going out of business. In other words, the Lord got the victory. They ended up having to disband that thing. and Praise the Lord, the Lord got the victory. And I was there for a long time after that. But afterward, the lady, Claire, the secretary, had come up to me. And she came into my office one day. And um, she let me know. She said, I just want to let you know that um, they did hire that guy. To kill you, and that her uncle was a witch doctor that lived in Okeechobee, the town of Okeechobee. And that her uncle had told her, now again, I didn't go fishing for this information, and I'm not telling you this because I'm trying to make you think I'm whatever, I'm just telling you what they told me. Her uncle had told her that every single voodoo witch doctor from Fort Myers all the way to Miami knew about this, that they had hired this witch doctor to kill me, to take me out with the magic. Every single one knew from here to Miami, and that they couldn't do it. I told her, I said, Claire, I said, that's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It ain't me. But can you see how that was a tremendous faith? I am so glad I got to go through these things. I am. It was tremendous effect on my faith. See, faith, if you don't exercise it, it doesn't get any bigger. It's like a muscle. So, when you exercise faith and you really believe, your faith gets bigger. It's like your shield gets bigger. What does the Bible talk about? It talks about the shield of faith in Ephesians 6. It says, Above all, taking up the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That's what the shield of faith does. And... I know that they had fired a lot of fiery darts at me, but from what I could tell, none had got through. Not to say I was walking in sinless perfection, but I had enough faith to believe that God was going to protect me. This is the kind of faith, except I think it's going to... We're going to need a very high level of faith to get through what is coming on this world. I talk about a lot of evil stuff week to week, but I also want to give you the remedy. The remedy is the Lord Jesus Christ in His Word. The Bible says, it's not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. And it is. And it is an offensive weapon. And it's the exact way that Jesus Christ dealt with the devil in the wilderness. He quoted scripture. So it's something that we need to to understand that, that we have and we need to memorize it. And have the faith to believe it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So that's how we build faith, is through reading the word of God, and particularly, I think, memorizing it. to Draw upon the scriptures when you get into situations like this. Okay, so, anyway, that was an, another experience I've had. Now, I know I... I I'm going to be telling you a lot of things today, but I'm leaving a lot out. I probably forgot more than I remember regarding this. Um, I think a big reason I've been through a lot of this stuff is to ultimately be an encouragement to other people, ultimately to prepare us for the times that are coming as well. And hopefully I can be um, an encouragement to people, and it will build their faith as well. And the... Next thing I would talk about is the second period of chastening in my life. Also due to a poor choice uh, regarding a female. And at the end of this time period, now this was the worst thing I'd ever been through in my life. I thought the first four years, this was... Because the Bible says, too much is given, much is required. Well, if you go and make the same mistake again, the punishment's going to be worse. I'm just telling you the way, way the Lord works, typically. You go and same make the same mistake again that He already chastised you four years for, well, then He's going to have to get more stern with you. As the one pastor I used to go to said, Well, he'll start out with the with the fine grit sandpaper and he'll work you out to, work you up to double lot grit, which is a lot heavy duty or coarser grind. In other words, it's a lot more painful. Well, the second period, and I, I take the blame for all of this. I, 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 it's only my own fault. Um, after this time period, I fasted for about 35 days out of a 60-day period. Now, not, and I was working full time, seeing patients in a new job that was just like working for Big Brother. It was, it was the most horrific time of my life. I didn't know what was, I, I. I I really was in a very, uh, really bad mental state at that point in my life. Because of this poor choice I had made, just because you make a choice and all of a sudden if, if you're shown the light doesn't mean you're going to accept that. And I refused to accept what was the Lord was trying to show me. And I fasted for about 35 days in the initial two month period. I lost 35 pounds in about two months, um... I looked like death on a soda cracker, basically, or death warmed over, whatever you may choose. So, uh, I was trying to get through this. Man, I, I was a wreck. I was absolute wreck. I, I mean, I, I'd go between patients. I'd, <coughs> I'd get ten minutes. I'd go in my office and bawl my eyes out. Come out and see some more patients. It was great. I mean, you know, it was like that every day, four, five, six times a day. I was bawling. I was throw, I was crying so hard I'd throw up all the time. Couldn't eat. My poor daughter would see me, even though she was a little girl. She remembers. I'd sit up like half the night and pray. I mean, I was just desperate. Desperate. But I'm telling you, God can take you to the woodshed, and He can take you there hard. And I deserved it. In fact, I deserved worse. I deserved death, really. But hey, I, you know, He let me live through it. I thought it was going to kill me. Um... But one of the main things the Lord led me to during that time period when I was under this horrific time is uh, uh, the Psalms. I was reading the Psalms. That's the only place I really wanted to be. I was only, I could, you know, you could drive comfort from reading the Word of God and Psalms. And and in particular, the Psalm that he led me to, not initially, but after I kind of got into that thing, was Psalm 64. Now, I've done a whole teaching on Psalm 64. And I, I... Quoted the very first part of the day. Hear my voice of God in my prayer. Preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked. You're asking God to hide you. Preserve your life from the fear of the enemy. When you're attacked by the enemy, would you don't you want to be hid from, from the enemy if 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 it be the Lord's will, if 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 you can appropriate protection and hide you? Well, sure you do. But then Further into the into Psalm sixty four, it says, "But God shall shoot at them." These are the wicked, okay, particularly in wicked spirits, I believe as well, because we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wicked, you know, these types of things. So, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongues to fall upon themselves. And anyway, you can you can go access that Psalm sixty four teaching. But that was the Particular psalm that the Lord had led me to, and um, really made a huge difference when I started praying that prayer regarding just protection. I just now my life's never been the same, really hasn't. About a year, about a year and two months, I would say, after this whole dark period in my life started, I was kind of starting to come out of it. After that first year, I was invited to go hear this preacher. Now, this preacher had been my patient at one time. He would only come in for like one or two visits, him and his wife. And I remember when I had seen him before, he had said something to the effect that I think him and his wife had, um, had uh, they had been po- poisoned by carbon monoxide, like in some, I don't know if they were in a trailer or something, I don't know, but it almost killed them. And I remember I saw him later at a church, and he had come to an independent fundamental church meeting. It was over there on Pastor Strange. And he had this Tuesday nights so of great preaching. I went over there, and they, they, they offered for him to pray. His name is Pastor Letiri. And he prayed. <laughs> I'll never forget that prayer. He basically asked the Lord to peel the the... I remember his exact words were, Lord, peel the paint off the off the off the walls if it's what it takes to get us right with you. And oh man, it was it was something else, this prayer. All the other preachers were, were pretty flabbergasted, I think. But anyway, um, he actually had a very small fundamental, independent fundamental Baptist church out on Pine Island, which is an island on the coast where we live and the one guy from the from a former that former Baptist church I'd mentioned he had invited me to hear him speak he was back in town now I didn't know where he had ever went in the first place but I went over to his house I brought my daughter Taylor with me and we went over there and um I just loved the man I don't know what else to say I just I couldn't help but not love the man the Bible talks about by this all men shall know you when you have when they see your loved one for the brethren. You know, I couldn't help it. I, I just I, I I the guy had been through the meat grinder, he'd been been through all of these things that I'll tell you in a moment. And yet he was he was very humble, very compassionate. Um I I just I just loved him. I, I, I couldn't help it. He, he was a wonderful person a wonderful Christian, uh, far greater than than anything I had ever been personally. And he told me the story of how, from what I can recall, because you have to understand, I met him, met him like this one time, one or two times I met him, you know, in this time period, and I'll explain to you what happened in a second, but he, um, He ended up uh, telling me the story, how he had had this church, and how he had been spoken things that were from the Lord, uh, evidently in a prophetic way, and that these prophecies or these prophetic words had come to pass. People in his church knew this, and evidently it leaked out. and I'm not 100% sure what they were, but the law enforcement was actually informed about him. And whatever he had been shown by the Lord was a threat to, I don't know if it was national security or whether or what it was. But it was enough where, I don't know if it was the FBI or whoever came in, CIA, came in and they basically tried to take this guy's, discredit him and take his ministry out. And they literally planted people in the church. And again, it was the whole thing about the satanic coven. It was a very similar ploy. Ended up, they turned his wife against him. They turned his congregation against him. He lost his church. He lost his congregation. His wife left him. Took all the kids. And they literally whisked her away to a whole... I think they whisked her away up to Jacksonville or something. And he had no way to even see her, get to her, nothing. Now, he he admitted that, you know, he... He was too controlling, but this went way beyond that. I mean, he got the government getting involved, and he actually had interactions with the government. He told me the whole story, but it's been a long time. And, I mean, he's literally been living out of his van for up until this point. Just living out of his van. It's still, I mean, the guy with soul went everywhere. He went, I mean, he was like a witnessing machine. I mean, he he never gave up on God. And I mean, I was just like, wow, what a I just did not perceive any guile in him whatsoever. I, I I mean I almost get teary-eyed thinking about the story, I really do. It was so it was just sad. But I'll never forget what he told me. At the end of all this, he says and he said, after he told me this big old long testimony about all the things and all the pain and the suffering and everything he'd went through, and then he said And you know, he said, at the end of it all, you know where God brought me? To one part of the Bible. And he opened up his Bible, and I thought to myself, He's not going to say Psalm 64. It's the exact place where he turned. He starts reading Psalm 64. And I'm quoting it along with him reading it out of the Bible. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Now this was after the darkest time of my life, after I was convinced that God led me there, and after I had heard a sermon and coincidentally enough, of all places, Okeechobee had an independent fundamental Baptist, uh, Pastor Weaver, John Weaver. And it was called A Christian's Door of Hope, where he talked about these imprecatory prayers. First time, But that confirmed to me that God showed me the concept of imprecatory prayers in Psalm 64. Um, Pastor Weaver confirmed that about four months of me into this very dark time at this Independent Fundamental Baptist Church Conference in Okeechobee. First time I'd ever heard a preacher preach on You can go up right now on a Sermon Audio and key up Pastor John Weaver and uh, go um, under Door of Hope. Awesome, awesome teaching. I also did a teaching on it, on Sermon Audio. And then now I have Pastor Letiri telling me this. I'm telling you, the Lord can confirm things to you in ways that you can't even hardly believe. And it was really sad because right after that, the lady that was, was, took him in, which was a former church member, they must have got wind he was in town. Because whatever they did put the fear of the devil in her, and she told him to get out. He called me as he was leaving town, and he left a message on my phone and told me he's going to be leaving, and, you know, that he, he loves me, but but he's got to go, and then he might not see me again, or whatever, you know, as a Christian brother, and, and all this stuff, and he didn't have a cell phone, and he called from a house, and I tried calling back the house where he called from, but he was already gone. I've never heard from him since. His name was Pastor Letiri, L-A-T-T-E-R-I. And he told me... He said, um, he asked me to pray for him. He said, most people don't, but he said, I'll ask you. And I'm not going to say I've done it every single day, but I have prayed for him, and I've thought about him a lot. But God bless him. Wherever he's at, I don't know if he's here anymore, I'd ask you to pray for him. So, another funny thing that happened during that year, really, really, really dark year, is whenever I was getting ready to go through something really, really, really nasty, and I went through a lot of stuff that year, I would have, and I mean sometimes literally minutes before, I would have hawks, the bird hawks, show up. I'm telling you, I can't explain it, but I have been, I can't tell you how many times it's happened. It hasn't happened to me near as much since then. But for about a year and a half period, oh my word, every place I went, I mean, if I had something really, really heavy duty to go through, I'd see hawks or, or a hawk. It was crazy. I, 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 it was just all the time. I remember that I was called in to testify in a case in a federal court building up in Tampa. I was one of their star witnesses for um, <clears throat> that whole thing, that whole thing where I had reported those those people to the FBI, the, the guy, the, the people who tried to kill me with the voodoo. Well, what ended up happening is, is they ended up making a deal with the government, this corrupt attorney, to try to save his own skin. And now he was on the side of the FBI. FBI called me in to testify in this federal court hearing up in Tampa. I mean, I waited like six hours to testify. I got up there, I was supposed to testify, they made make me wait like six hours out in the hall. And I'm out in this hall, and it's this totally glass building that I'm in, and I'm looking out, and when I first got there, I looked out, and there's all these buzzards. I am not, I am telling you the truth, there was all these buzzards circling around this federal court building. I mean I'm talking I'm twenty stories up. I'm like, man, there's these buzzards. And there was this building right next to it that was like a real old gothic building that literally had gargoyles on it. Gargoyles are the embodiment of evil. And you know what was crazy? Those buzzards were there circling, and after a little bit, I saw these hawks show up, and they literally chased all the buzzards away. Hawks in the middle of the city? All I can do is I'm telling you the truth. God is my witness. I couldn't believe it. I went in there, and it was funny because the FBI agent got me outside, and they were they were trying to like badger me before I even went in the thing. And they were like, they were like, "Why didn't you come forward uh, with this information you're going to testify about?" And I said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "I came to you first. I came to the FBI first. I tried to get you to convict them." and then they shut up. I ended up I was actually on the opposite side for this particular case. It was it was a mess, but that that experience was done with and and anyway, that whole thing with the Hawks and then um